0: What's it like working for a guy like Johnny Depp? Because everybody talks about him. I mean, I've met him a few times, thanks to you. Um, What's he like?
2: Like, for those that don't know. A sweet, lovable man. Kind, compassionate, friendly. I've never seen him angry. He seems like he
3: maintains his composure very well under pressure, obviously, as we've all seen. I mean... Think yeah. about
2: what, what, what happened to his life. I mean, he went from this guy. I mean, he hung out. Nicolas Cage said, you know, well, let, you should come with me to auditions. You know, you'll probably get some work while he was trying to be in a band. And that's how he, he it started. Nicholas Cage took him to auditions. And, and, but he always wanted to be in a rock band. And now he can be.
1: Hello, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here as always with Siobhan and Ben and we are super pumped to welcome back our British ambassador, Mr. Steve Wood.
3: Back for even more stories that I didn't know that he would have had because he already had so many episodes with us full of everything you wanted to hear. So it was really great to jump in and hear what's going on in the world of touring, Hollywood vampires, all sorts of craziness in his world.
0: Well, I mean, the other thing is, too, is that he tells stories that he's like a comedian where you want to ask him, like, do that bit. And I, and I, I coaxed him into talking about the Beatles, and I thought he was going to regurgitate a story about George Harrison. No, just continues on telling me a bunch of things yeah. I don't know. There's other he's Beatles just the, stories. <laughs> yeah. So he's just the coolest dude ever. And by the way, did I mention, he manages Johnny Depp. So...
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, so we get into that in this episode without giving too much away. Let's jump in part 1 with Steve Wood right now. Like and subscribe at 2020-d.com.
1: Do it.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman. I'm just going to drive right into the craziness the mk ultra the peak of this trip because you can't slow the man we're about to talk to down you just can't he's an endless bombast of muchismo bravado interesting stories actually might be the most interesting guy on the planet he manages a little known guy named johnny depp he, he knows this dude and happens also manage him as an artist manager. This guy, Joe Perry from Aerosmith, a little-known band called Godsmack. On top of the incredulous amounts of people that he just knows because he's friends with them, one of my favorite people on the damn planet didn't even introduce my cohorts because c- I was so excited. Siobhan and c- Corey. Steve Wood, the artist manager, th- the guy from Shelter Music, the dude who does everything with a beautiful, beautiful accent nonetheless.
2: Steve, how are you? Well, I am speechless after that introduction. <laughs> Whatever you're taking, I want some of that You, can, you because...
3: can be speechless, because
1: Ben has enough speech for everyone.
3: Absolutely. It's been a while yeah. since I've heard one of those epic oh. introductions. So wow, Ben, I'm impressed.
0: You, you know what? Like yeah, I yeah. felt like yeah. I was in neutral for a while in my life, but then I realized we had to have Steve Wood back, and I've just been excited.
2: Well, I I, I just hope I live up to that introduction. My God, <laughs> oh boy! Well, guys, it's yeah. so good to see you all again. Yeah, you too, man. Here we are. Yeah, we. You figured know,
1: it's, uh, it's time we check back in because, you know, it's been, I think, almost a year, uh, pretty close to it. Was, it was the end of uh, 2021, really? I think, the last time we had you on. Um, so I'm sure a lot has happened yeah. in the past year that we need to catch up with.
2: Well, I got rid of the beard. That, that happened. I had a COVID <laughs> beard. I would never did it before. I just wanted to see if I could do it. And, yes, it did make me look older. So I got rid of that. <laughs>
3: I think a lot of people went through that phase. So you're not alone in that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, well, can you um, fill us in on what's been happening with you in the last year? Not to interrupt you, but but what's new with you? uh, Yeah, well, um, for the longest time, it was extremely uh,
2: quiet, dull, nothing really happening. And um, we were booking tours and canceling them, rebooking them. And that's just the way it went for like two years. And so finally, COVID has you know dissipated, it's, it's gone into the background, although I'm hearing that that's starting to come back. I don't know if you guys are hearing that, but I was talking to one of my travel agents today, and he's got eight tours that are out, and most of them are having COVID problems. because they're in buses. Mm-hmm. you're in a tube. One guy gets it, boom. You know, well, I mean.
0: I, I've, been, I've been hearing, well, my friend Kamal, who I know you know Kamal, our, our mutual friend Kamal is now with Weird Al Yankovic and they had to go through all this crazy stuff and the guy that got sick was Weird Al. So he actually had to stay in the parking lot on his bus quarantined while they were at like the Four Seasons, his entire staff. And my buddy was like, this is just so insane. And you know, they have meet and greets and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's, it's very scary for people. And the other thing is, it's also a logistical nightmare because gas is more expensive. Even if you're flying, I, I, I know during COVID, a lot of these pilots retired and you can't just get pilots out of nowhere to drive these ah. jumbo jets and fly them all over the world. And like Bruce Dickinson is on tour with Iron Maiden. He's not available for JetBlue. So when you want to get back from Atlanta, you don't have as many choices anymore, even if you're Joe Perry, because Johnny Smith, who's been flying for 40 years, is like, nah, I'm out. Or flying private for our friends, because that's yep. where the money's at. And all those guys are just as scared of COVID as uh, the, the pilots probably are. Is that You're accurate?
2: right Yeah, and, and look, I'm gonna tell you a story about this in a minute, with involving the band Seether. Please do, but, please do, Seether. It's a good
3: one, it's a good oh, one. Oh good, we were but, just on the road with them, I can't wait to hear that, but go on. We, yeah, we, just, yeah. we
0: just, we're friends with
2: those guys, we just talked to them. Well, um, but just so you know, I mean, I was looking at Heathrow the other day, it's a nightmare in Heathrow. Have you seen the pictures with the little baggage? It's oh, no, out of control. Oh no, I have even looked. They're they're running out of space because the bags keep piling up because something's wrong with the baggage control. It it looks unbelievable if you ever get to see it. Um, Then they're canceling flights left, right, and center uh, in Europe because they don't have enough pilots. It's happening here too. And in the music business, you cannot get buses, trucks, sound crew, lighting crew, and drivers.
3: I mean, yes, it's I can crazy. attest to that. <laughs> it's
2: crazy. The drivers all lost their jobs when COVID, and so they took delivery jobs. Because they got, you know, paid to drive those big rigs. And uh boom, you couldn't get dr- you know, they could not get drivers. So here's this the Cedar story. It's it's really good. They managed a shelter where I shine part of and brian frank their manager called me and said look would you help put the tour together and i said yeah sure happy to so it took a while to get buses i was saying wow this is difficult and i'm going through all my lists finally you know i found the bus all good great got the bus now for the first month of this tour have a new album and they're doing weekend warrior stuff right so hopping out of Nashville. They do Monday through Thursday touring, go back to Nashville, all go home, come back Monday, pick up the bus. They have a trailer full of merch. On the fourth weekend, the bus drops at Nashville, van crew go away. The driver somehow got really confused and thought that was the end. He unhooked the trailer Swear to God, and drove to the Jonas Brothers. But two <laughs> days later, two days later, the the um, bus yard where the trailer was called me and said, "Hey, are you guys coming to pick up your trailer?" I go, well, "What do you mean, pick up the trailer? We'll we'll be there in three days to start the tour with um, three days, uh, three doors down. We'd see them." You there's no bus here. Make some calls. They realize this horrendous mistake had happened. Now, you gotta understand, it's the beginning of a cycle. The They're on their second radio single. Both went to number one, I believe. And I could not find a bus. And I was terrified that I would have to go into shelter and say, hey guys, I know you've got a new album and you've got two number ones and you're about to start the tour. But I'm afraid you have to cancel it because we can't get a bus. I mean, this is, mag- this is huge. And I was terrified I'd have to go in, explain this. And I was up like three nights. Like I was physically ill over this. Because literally, if you can't get a bus, you can't talk. Finally, the, the planets aligned. I got the bus. And I'm thinking, thank God. Then the owner said, but I don't have a driver. I go, Oh no, we're back to square one. I, I went everywhere. I got tried everything. I found a driver. Now he realized my predicament. So he goes, well, I'm going to gouge this guy 300% over the rate for bus drivers, 300%. What am I going to say? I, I said, yes. So that night, I thought, thank God, I'm going to bed and get a good night's sleep. It's over. I woke up. There was a text Hey, dude, I took another gig. Good luck. And I, I just, I don't know, I just looked at this thing. And anyway, within about a couple of hours, the planets aligned again and I found a driver. And the driver was, one of the backline crew for my son's band, like a storm who had a license and he could drive and the tour carried on. But I'm telling you, that was the craziest I've never seen that before. That sounds like a mixture of who's on. That's
0: that sounds like a mixture of who's on first and spinal tap. Like if that's not like if there's a, I know they're making a new spinal tap. If there isn't new material to take from, like, oh, my God, Steve.
3: Oh, like, the bus driver you, debacle is well known. I think this is, a lot of people. Bus are driver
0: debacle. This. Is that yeah. the name
3: of a new band? <laughs> it the could team. be. No, but even even for us, that's that's the running joke is who is the best paid person on a tour. It's the bus driver, like more than all yeah. the musicians, because there's such a premium on it. It's so hard to find them. And then you get some people that, you know, they can drive a big vehicle, but they don't know how to drive. A a passenger bus of people that are sleeping in a way that makes oh. you feel like you're not going to die every night. You know, it's it's definitely a skill set that's hard to find. Right, star now. coach
2: drivers. Uh, they have a whole different skill set to drive the the rock star. I mean, to you know the the uh, sort of the top the guy that has his own star coach and everything. You have to right. treat them very differently. There's a different skill set. You know, crew drivers. It's pretty black and white. You drop, you leave, you go to sleep, come back, you're done. It's different if you're driving. Let's say Joe Perry. He has different needs. Come to think of it, he travels by private jet, so that probably wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but, but you, you get, it. yeah, you, right. you get it. But uh, yeah, the whole uh, the whole business is is nuts right now. And when Aerosmith were doing the um, Vegas residency, and Steven Tyler pulled out, just about everybody that was in, a, in a, uh, on the road crew who had like um, premium positions, front of house, monitors, lighting designers, immediately moved on to another tour. I have friends in in this business, obviously. They they just, they're turning things down every day. It's, it's kind of nuts. It's kind of nuts. And God smack, I got to tell you, Sully said I'm not gonna tour in 22 because everybody is and he said we're gonna tour in 23 and now I gotta hand it to him he was right you know because it's it's tough touring and there's only enough dollars to go around you can't go to everything and everything's out on tour so yeah so no, what you're I'm saying just, is
1: if if you ever wanted to be in the industry <laughs> learn to drive a bus or learn to be yeah. on the crew and start now's the time yeah, to break yeah. in right
2: <laughs> absolutely and i will tell you this i don't know if you look on social media for these festivals in europe i mean huge numbers mm-hmm. huge numbers have you been seeing any of it
3: oh yeah some pictures yeah videos green yeah,
2: yeah green day uh, the eagles in high park uh, glastonbury a hellfest in France, massive. It's almost like I could see the curvature of the Earth in the back. <laughs> there was a clip that um <laughs> the
1: the drummer from Corn uh, posted. I saw on Instagram, and Very the crowd, dangerous. the yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the crowd was so big that you could see the the d- delay from the kick drum because everyone was was doing this to the sound. So every time the kick drum hit, you saw a wave go from the front to the back. You could see the speed of sound in people's headbanging. It was insane. Wow.
2: I saw Steel Panther last night. They had thousands of people doing this, you know, to to, um, Weenie Ride was the name of the song. (laughs) Do you you know the song?
3: Yes. Oh, yeah, of
2: course. (laughs) I mean, there must have been 60,000 people doing that. And um, it's huge in Europe. But what isn't, like, huge right now is bands doing five shows a week. Those numbers are slightly down, actually. Uh, Festivals, because there's a smorgasbord of activity and there's something for everybody. Big. People want to come and be entertained. But, you know, doing your own shows five days a week, that's not doing blowout numbers yet, you know. But um, it'll get there. I hope so, because we just put the Hollywood vampires on sale. And for next year doing well yeah
0: well hold on can we just stop for a moment because in the hollywood vampires Where? you have three like as we say in hebrew shalosh rigolim which means the three legs like the biggest holidays except the holiday is alice cooper johnny depp and joe perry and each and one of them by tommy themselves
1: you, i saw that
0: to- tommy has been elevated he's been promoted for, what, from the alice cooper band to an official vampire is that the deal Correct. and he's a great he's great guitarist but here's the thing Johnny Depp like if he was to go into a magazine and say something let's say quote John Lennon and say I'm bigger than Jesus he might not be wrong so I feel like anything that you might say that would apply to any other band <laughs> for five days a week does not exist for Captain Jack Sparrow slash at
2: night plays with Jeff Beck am I right here now? Uh, yeah. this day? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you, I mean, I, I don't know if you know, I was reading that, that people are coming to Johnny with, with roles now, movies. I mean, he's, he's coming back. And, and big oh, I time. have no
3: doubt. Yeah.
2: I mean, he's on tour with Jeff Beck. I mean, uh, did you hear any of the songs? The one about oh, Eddie yeah. Lamar? I really yeah, he, liked
0: it. He's got a really cool voice that like when I, I have I I saw him live a few times, but he's got like that quiet kind of crooner thing going yeah. for him. That sure like unless is. you really listen with good headphones on, like it's kinda hard, but like he really has this interesting voice that I can understand why Jeff Beck would go, I could I could do something with this. It's so unique and it's not it's not what I expected out of him, but I guess considering he was a musician before he was even an actor, it right. makes sense that he, and that he hangs out with Joe Perry and and, and Clapton and Jimmy Page and everybody else and Paul McCartney right. and Dave Grohl, whatever. You'd expect this guy might be good at this point, and it seems like he's finally reached that level, especially as a vocalist, because as a guitar player, he's good. Like, I've heard him play, but his yeah, singing you know. is so uh-huh. unique Is that going to be the next iteration of of the vampires, you think? Like more Johnny singing?
2: Correct. Correct. And also look at the publicity Jeff Beck's getting out of it. I mean, think about it. Well, it's the biggest he's ever been. That's right. You know, and and we went up on sale during all of that. Didn't hurt at all. You know, Um, exciting. I'm actually hearing that... that, um, Disney are coming around to Captain Jack Sparrow again. Have you heard this? I heard that they
0: were even coming around about it before he was even acquitted because it was such a big deal. I mean, look, they say PR is PR. All press is good press, but Johnny Depp did exactly what uh, uh, what Dennis Leary used to say. You know, you know, you do drugs once, then you come out and you say, "I'm sorry." And then everyone's like, you're the fucking greatest and put you on the cover of people. And that's not exactly it. But he goes up there and he says, he's so earnest. He's like, yeah, maybe I was a little drunk. I don't even remember what roles I'm in. And he's just enjoyable (laughs) as a human being. It doesn't even matter. Now everyone's so bought into Johnny Depp. He can do anything. Because now that you realize he's not this giant monster and he's certainly no more monster than that monster he was married to. Now we can like him again which I liked him the whole time, but now we can like him again. And now he's the biggest ever. So if he was suing for 55 million, I bet you Oprah will invite him on for fucking $55 million just to, to, to talk about what it's like for a man to be
2: abused. His life is gonna change um, and for much better ways. No, he's in a good place right now. He's in a good place. And you gotta think if you were him, I mean, my God, I mean, he wanted to be in a rock band and a rock star, and it all came true for him, you know? He calls acting his day job, by the way.
0: (laughs) Well, you know what?
2: He's so so talented that
0: he might be able to make that his day job, you know, because if he does this thing, first off, Jeff Beck, let's talk about him because Jeff Beck is notoriously the greatest guitarist that didn't get the acclaim that Clapton or Santana or all these other guitar players that just are not as good. I'll say it. They aren't as good as Jeff Beck but Jeff Beck is so like highbrow that like a lot of the people that like listen to I Shot the Sheriff could not understand what he was doing with the Whammy Bar but now that he's friends with you know, Johnny Depp who acknowledges that Jeff Beck is the greatest. He shows back up in England for the first time like in a public appearance where on stage with Jeff Beck and I guarantee you more <clears throat> zennials, millennials, generation, you know, Z2 or whatever the hell they are on now, <laughs> googled Jeff Beck, they're like the greatest guitarist that nobody cared about and like we're going to care about him now. Thanks, Johnny. And that's where we are at. Jeff Beck's going to be Replacing Eric Clapton, since Eric Clapton's a racist and doesn't deny science, we're opening up the door for Eric, uh, for, for Jeff Beck
2: and Johnny Depp. Rant over. You, well, he was in, on a Friday. He was in court getting acquitted, as it were, and on Sunday he was in Sheffield, England, on stage with Jeff Beck. I mean, because when he walked on, huge. Not a bad report. week. <laughs> yeah, and it just gets better and better and better. And then we announced the, the Vampires in the middle of all that, you know? And it's, it's exciting. We're doing the O2 in London, which is the 18,000 seater. Exciting. Oh, you're incredible. That's great.
0: Are, you, are, you, are you excited? That Because I know you're a British guy that plays guitar. That yeah. you now have an excuse to talk to Jeff
2: Beck? Oh, I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> of course, I'd like to. <laughs> maybe... I don't think I'll be jamming with him anytime soon. But well, he, he you won't if you have me. that
0: mindset, Steve.
2: No, listen, have you I I mean this is I didn't mean this to be a Jeff Beck conversation, but I send I you I send you clips of him playing things, Benny, that just I don't know, I throw up my I mean, I don't get it. How can you be that good? What I I don't know, I'm speechless. Speechless. Yeah, I, no. I mean, he.
0: he I, I think it's incredible, and of course, it's Jeff Beck's year because who who who's he playing with? When he's not with Johnny Depp, now he's playing on Ozzy Osbourne's new song, "Patient Number Nine. Is that right. not with with, right. with with yeah with Robert Trujillo from Metallica and Chad Smith from yeah. the Red Hot Chili Peppers? So Jeff Beck has gone from being Eric Clapton's like fill in to now playing with JD we can just call him JD at this point and Ozzy cause we don't even need an Osborne. So I guess it is Jeff's year. Uh, wow. That's my end of my rant because I love Jeff Beck and I'm glad he finally got to do it. But most importantly, your client, Johnny Depp finally
2: reached his dream, wow. which is to be a well, rock star. <laughs> he said, um, Jeff Beck, that the album, which is out soon, it's called 18. And the reason it's called 18 is when he, got with Johnny and they were like trading musical ideas he said they both felt like kids again like they were 18 years old and that's why they called the album 18 and it's full of covers it's a Beach Boy uh, song Caroline No which is a Beach Boy track by Brian Wilson that's on there but the way he interprets Jeff Beck I mean like people get ready it's one of my favourite guitar solos I don't know if you've you know the track? People get ready? Oh yeah. Oh, of course. Oh my god. Oh, my <laughs> god. But um
0: I mean, and, listen, I can I can go on and on about Jeff Beck, but but that said, let, let me ask you this. What's it like working for a guy like Johnny Depp because everybody talks about him. I mean, I've met him a few times thanks to you. Um what's he like? Like
2: for those sweet, that don't know. A sweet, lovable man. Kind, compassionate, Friendly, I've never seen him angry. Yeah. He seems I mean, like he maintains so. his
3: composure very well under pressure, obviously, yeah. as we've all seen. I mean, think yeah. about what,
2: what, what happened to his life. I mean, he went from this guy, I mean, he hung out with Nicolas Cage, said, You know, well, let, you should come with me to auditions. You know, you'll probably get some work while he was trying to be in a band. And that's how he, he it started. Nicholas Cage took him to auditions and and but he always wanted to be in a rock band. And now he can be. His house is full of guitars, by the way. All hanging around the you know, he has a recording studio. You know what? Um, but he should listen
0: to his friend Nick Cage, because I'll tell you something Nick Cage has that I bet you Johnny doesn't. A Tyrannosaurus well, Rex
2: Skull. Yeah, did you know a bunch that? Of really expensive comics? Yeah. I think mean, he collects really? comics yeah oh. I think so. oh, Yeah, but yes he does, he does have that skull i know yeah that. well he won he won it from
0: leonardo dicaprio i mean i put in a bid but i didn't win i was a little annoyed leo and uh and clearly nick cage outbid me it was a it, it was upsetting uh,
2: well, i just watched the new nicholas cage movie it's really funny do you know the one i mean where he's um he plays himself or, right
3: yeah right
2: yes he's playing himself he's um a a drug dealing um it's drug dealer very rich drug dealer hires Nicolas cage to come to his like daughter's birthday party and um it, it's just it, it's so funny i can't remember the name is of it the, it. the like
1: unbearable the... weight of massive talent
2: correct yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it I sounds like a spinal tab it. movie yeah. <laughs> I recommend it very funny Nicolas Cage funny can I, can itch, I
0: tell itch, I am
2: gonna I'm gonna also
0: make a recommendation as far as movies I don't especially because it's such an allegory for what's going on right now but uh Beavis and Butthead do the universe oh um because Mike, Mike Judge it's an actual movie so listen it, I'm gonna it's tell you not
3: advertised it's, it's out I think it's on streaming oh it's on Paramount something.
0: Paramount Plus listen Mike Judge wrote Idiocracy okay Which, by the way, it's the closest thing. Well, (laughs) and he did King of the Hill. And Beavers and Butthead have always always been a sign of what people are actually like. So I I remember reading a review from Rolling Stone from back in the day of Beavis and Butthead trying to understand that it's not the stupidest thing ever. I feel like Beavis and Butthead was the lowest common denominator before South Park and that they were making statements about being so stupid that people didn't realize how stupid it was. Now if you go and watch this new movie the amount of consistency in stupidity and lack of syntax, like just a comma could change the whole movie. Uh, for Beavis and Butthead. And I got to tell you, it, in a world where there's so many politics and so much weird shit going on outside and everyone's so woke, watching Beavis and Butthead for 90 minutes basically try to have sex with a woman and going through space and time uh, was worth all 90 minutes. So I can recommend <laughs> oh. that no higher.
2: <laughs> I, 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 actually, I think Beavis and Butthead probably destroyed Winner's career. Actually. They did, Winger. yeah. <laughs> they did, because they had the dumb guy, uh, whatever,
0: whatever his name was, uh, the, the, the the dumb kid wearing the Winger shirt. So they had ACDC to Metallica. No one even cared about Winger, but because Nelson or whatever his name was wearing the damn shirt, Kip Winger is now never taken seriously.
2: Yeah. Also, there were pictures in Metallica's rehearsal studio of Winger's face on a dartboard. <laughs> Correct. <laughs>
3: Speaking of Metallica, yeah, I, I just watched also the uh, the documentary on Netflix that uh, maybe you've all seen it. It's a two part thing. The first oh. episode is like two and a half hours about them working on the San Anger album. I no. think oh, it's yeah, some, some kind of some monster. Kind of monster. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's are yeah, people, right? Huh? It's
2: it's it's, a few, it's quite old, right? Some kind it, of it yes. might be. It might it, be. It, I it just found old. it the other yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've seen it. Yeah,
3: yeah. And yeah, they're unlikable. Um, <laughs> it's a, yeah, it was an interesting perspective in their personalities, for sure, because as someone that didn't listen to Metallica growing up, it was interesting to see, like, the what was going on between all their interpersonal dynamics, you know?
2: I was, in, in a way, involved in part of that movie um, because I remember it was shot a long time ago, actually, and um, I was working with Megadeth at the time, and I got a phone call from their life coach. He's in the movie. Yes, he's, the one he's a that, big
3: part of the movie. Yeah,
2: he he actually came from a um, an NFL team, I believe. He was the life coach for a, a sports team. Don't remember which one. And he called me up saying, "Look, we're doing this movie, and we'd like to interview Dave Mustaine about like not being in Metallica." I mean, because that famous story, everybody's kind of heard Right. It.
3: He had a um, cameo appearance yeah. in it. Yeah.
2: And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, they came to where we were and I took Dave to, to a hotel and they filmed that whole sequence um, there. And that was like the first time, I think, Dave had sat there with them since that happened. It was, you know, so it was a big deal. In fact, he got quite emotional about it. Um, Yeah. Look, if you think about it, he's like the metal version of Pete Best, who, you know, was in The the Beatles Beatles before Ringo. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it must affect you. Well,
0: I mean, but the question is, should I show up to Metallica show, uh, show saying Mustaine was the best? Because that's what they used to do at the Beatles shows, which is another reason why they didn't want Pete oh. was because the girls all thought he was the dream boat. So how that's is right. Paul and, and George supposed to get any chicks when you got Bestie back there trying to win over all the girls? And he wasn't as funny, which is why they got Ringo because Ringo had all his Ringoisms, like you know
2: he worked an <laughs> eight day week. Yeah. It's a hard yeah, day's yeah. night. <laughs> I, I think um, Pete Best's mother had a club or something. That, that anyway, it was helpful to the Beatles. But um, yeah, yeah but, in Hamburg, but, you know, Germany. Yeah, there, there there was something about a club there. But but yes, he was the guy that was most popular, and I think that didn't help him later on in life. But Osh, um, you know, when I think back, I feel so blessed to have actually worked with three of the Beatles. To me, it's still. So,
3: most people yeah. haven't even met one So that's that's I a pretty big you, statement to make <laughs> You
0: told us a story about uh, about George But yeah. where Where do the other Beatles come
2: in? I'll tell uh, you um, I was working with Dave Edmunds, incredible guitar player from England Produced all the Stray Cats Records and, and lots of others And he was a neighbor Of George Harrison Who lived in that Friar Park um, It was a monastery That he bought some sort of $40 million, like, huge mansion. And he was friends with Dave. And Dave called me up one day. He said, hey, you want to go for dinner at George's? (laughs) Well, I knew who he meant. It was like, "Ah, no, I'm going to be busy watching TV. Yeah, I want to go. Right. And we go. And Dave, you know, um, had a big gold Rolls Royce in those days. And we went there. And a conversation started about Carl Perkins. Now, you heard of him, right? Great From drummer. Carl, Carl Perkins. Carl was going to have a, um, a documentary made about him, and he wanted a band around him, and then they play all of his songs. And so during the course of this, this meeting, the band was put together, and the band was made up of George Harrison, Ringo Starr, Eric Clapton, um, the Stray Cats, um, the, who's the guitar player of Earl Slick was in it and all of Dave Edmund's band. And so I was asked to run all the production for this show, which was going to be filmed. And we would go to rehearsals and the UK press got hold of this because there's two of the Beatles, you know, first time this had happened in, since they broke up. and. We did it, we did the show, uh, and it was incredible. And there I was, Ringo, Paul, Eric, unbelievable. I'll never forget it. I mean, crazy. That's wild. Well, so crazy. What, let
0: me ask you this. What's it like being and in a room with, with all those guys playing? You have Ringo Starr back there, there's George Harrison, Eric, like,
2: and mm-hmm. I mean, nevertheless, what's Brian Setzer doing in the room? Well, he was there because he played that type of music from the fifties. I mean, that's what you know—the rockabilly. So was and he that, was he all. talking to George Harrison, going, "Let me show you how to rock around the clock." I mean, that's a weird. Well, everybody was everybody was having fun. It was really normal, you know. It was just everybody were chatting, and the same when I worked with Paul McCartney. Um, I mean, to me, when I walked into Air Studios. It's still, you can't get your head around it when you see him in person. I mean, that's a Beatle. It, it blows me away. And I watched him recording the session and he was very kind, he listened to You watched to him standing there? Yeah, he was coordinating the session. I was Through the window? Go, and, no, in the room. I was right in the room.
0: That was all my Beatles was, references in one sentence, Steve. Uh, I watched I guess, him
2: standing there. Yeah. 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 And he listened to what the other people had to say, but then they're going to do it his way. I mean, <laughs>
3: like, I was wondering how he, that ended. So, kind of like yeah. get Is back it, the yeah. whole movie.
2: <laughs> exactly. And, and I don't know if I ever told this last time. And true story Linda McCartney was there. And she was wonderful. And she was asking everybody, can I get you some tea, some with coffee, some biscuits? And she was absolutely super. And we were all sitting there and she told this joke. And like, we all could not believe she said this. And she said, true story, hey guys, what do you call a dog with wings? Linda McCartney, swear to God, she told that joke i got i couldn't believe it well the self-awareness is
0: is is incredible
2: well because she was going through a lot of like people were slagging her off because you know she was paul's wife that's why she was there and you know she wasn't a musician but she took it like a trooper i mean just telling that joke to us was never forgotten It.
0: Well, the hey, thing is, I mean, if you didn't laugh at the probably. jokes, you could have had you killed out back. Probably.
2: So. <laughs> I laughed, uh, but nervously. A nervous laugh. But yeah, and, and George Martin was there, you know? Well, isn't he Sir George it's, Martin? Well, Mr. Sir dead, wasn't George there. Martin. Yeah. Oh, wasn't fair know, enough. I wondered, do you think he got any? additional income from producing the beatles because let's be honest he was the fifth Beatle. i mean he created so much of what they were trying to do do you think he just got paid a, a producer's fee from emi I
3: that have would be to horrifying
1: think, I, yeah <laughs> i would assume that he would have some sort of stake in the uh the publishing and whatnot <laughs> And, and very furthermore, bad business if he didn't. He,
0: he, was, he was able to ride that so hard. I mean, just his artwork and all the stuff. Like, I mean, he must have been able to ride that his entire life. I mean, but,
2: yeah, but he did not get publishing. He's yeah. not. His name is not any of it.
0: Oh, it's not. All right. Good. I'm Googling his net worth because I'm curious. George Martin. Because
2: everything on the internet oh, yeah. is true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's no longer here his son's like taken over Giles. Well, listen, at the
0: time of his death he was worth a hundred million dollars so,
2: so he must have I, I had some
0: stake in it thing.
2: yeah maybe he, he was one of the owners of abbey road studios i don't know but i mean literally let's be honest he helped craft many of those songs to what they are today like in my life and um Yesterday, with I mean, he wrote the parts. He he wrote the the orchestration, you know. And so, I've wondered about that. So, if yeah. I ever meet Giles Martin, I'm going to ask him. Ah. I went for love a few months ago in Las Vegas. You guys seen it?
3: Seen what? Oh, love, love. The, Beatle, the Beatles. The um,
2: Beatles is it Cirque du Soleil or something?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? I have not. I oh, have God. not. There's, um, I have to tell
2: you, I've seen it like three times. And at the very end, um, I mean, all these songs are are being played and they're all magnificent. Four massive posters unfurl of each Beatle, they come down. And I actually had moist eyes um, because I realized this is never going to happen again. This is, that's never going to be repeated.
0: That's what they're what saying they in the lab when they're creating the holograms of everybody going. Everyone's been saying this is never going to happen again until now.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah, we you know what I mean. I mean, it was it was like it was to me um, emotional, and um, oh, I can believe it's that. not going to happen again. Look at music today; it, it's not going to happen again. But by, by the it way, was, interesting uh, fact:
0: yeah. I just want to bring it back to George Martin. I looked it up. He was getting paid yes. only 3000 pounds a year and then got annoyed when he generated millions and millions of uh, uh, right. pounds for EMI. And then he was the first one to cut a deal where he gets part, uh, part of the revenue. So he actually cut that deal. And I guess he created the landscape for future producers to take points. Yeah. It's an interesting,
3: yeah. Interesting to think he about invented the the model, Right. But yeah, even I now it's thought interesting. Thought to, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: No, actually, I just said I always, often thought
3: about that. Uh, yeah, well, even now I was going to say it's interesting, like observing different artists and working with people. How many people play a part in the creation of a song, too, and how even that gets split up? Um, you know, determining what level of what level of ownership do you have over something if you're just in the room, you know, and you throw out an idea yeah. or a hook or you play a diddly on the piano, and all of a sudden that builds the entire song. You know, it's it's interesting.
2: Look, you're in a band, like Star said. I mean, I often wonder how, like, there'll be, like, a main writer. But the drummer plays his parts. The bass player's playing his parts. At what point do you have some ownership, and and at what point do you not? It's it's interesting. Yeah,
3: Yeah. you know, it's a a good question. I mean, in our case, you know, Dustin, the singer, is the primary writer, you know, and he works with other people, producers, and – he yeah, controls I, I don't it all, know.
0: Steve. He controls it all. He <laughs> doesn't even let them I'm play into, on the record. Show, right? But yeah, yeah, but listen exactly. how brilliant this is. He's friends with everyone in the band. They're all capable because he wanted to answer your question, which is no control, Steve. Instead, he hires session musicians and then brings it to the band and says, play this. So that therefore, they can't say anything that they've improvised any of their stuff. They're actually covering themselves. <laughs>
2: is that, is and, that but, the way it goes?
3: Yeah, Yeah, so, I mean, basically, yeah, all of us, we, you know, we're in the band and we perform, but, yeah, the songs are all basically entirely written by him and his team of people that he works with. And just so
0: you know how brilliant he is, Ron, their bass player, not only is a genius at logistics and operations, but can also fix a bus. (laughs) Really? I'm serious. Yeah, that's why well, he's a okay. big player. I mean, he, he speaks he knows... multiple languages. He literally he can book tours. He books the tours for you, doesn't
3: he? He he helps. I mean, Ron's very involved in the logistics. I mean, Starset is probably not your typical band model, you know, it really is um a business in a lot of ways. Dustin is the primary creative director. It's brilliant. Um, but yeah, when it comes it's interesting talking about the buses and logistics because Starset, you know, we own the buses that we that we use you know so finding drivers oh, is one thing, but luckily you know we're not at the helm of having to rent from somebody there's those are in the stock you know brilliant. so we have that in the capital stock available you know however they decide to do it but yeah so, they, they were really so ahead of the game is- with
2: are you is star set one guy or with employees or how does that work? Actually?
3: I mean, it's a good question. I guess it depends on how you define it. I mean, we're all part of the the brand of the band and I, you know, I don't want to speak for them, but um, when it comes to the writing of the music and the direction of, you know, where things are going or what's coming next. Yeah, I, I don't really have any control of that. So uh, a little bit of both, I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's really cool because
0: he's a, he's, he's a visionary, it seems like from an outside perspective that Definitely masterminds everything, but he he makes it integral in the sense that everybody in the band has their own story. They're all woven into this fabric. So even though yeah. Siobhan may not be playing on the uh, on the on the record, people know who she is because the way he brands the band, every single character, uh, uh, every single member of the band is a character in this story. So well, really, it's, he's it's still a universe, them.
3: yeah. So it's, and, it's, it's not universe. really it's not really a band or versus Star one person. Wars. It's yeah, it's it, it's a it's a Ghostbusters. Universe. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an overarching thing that encompasses many things, Jurassic including the Park. band, yeah. including the story, including the music, and every, every person has a place in that, but, you know, your level of outfit. involvement. And the outfits, yeah and, yeah.
2: and the outfits as well. And did he design all those?
3: The, they weren't custom designed, but the idea was, you know, that was their idea. But, the, you know, they found what matched the aesthetic of the, where, where the, you know, vision was yeah. going.
2: I was meaning to ask you, now that you're on tour, how's it, what's it like, um, are you enjoying festival touring?
3: Yeah, well, we haven't been doing a lot of festivals. This is so interesting. You were talking about five nights a week. That's kind of what we're doing right now. We're on a headline tour. So um, we had done one, you know, post-COVID, we did a small acoustic tour in uh, summer of 2021. We did another headline tour in the winter, which is, I think, when we last spoke to you. And that was, it wasn't really selling as well as it is now. So I think now we're kind of in another arena of people really going all out to concerts. So we it's actually been going quite well. Um, most uh-huh, of the places, yeah, it's it. most of the places, the crowds are great. Um, but you're right. I think it's pretty apparent that we're competing with a lot of other acts and venues and, you know, I, everyone yeah. going out at the same time. You know, when you were talking about Godsmack, I'm like, well, yeah, it makes sense because, you know, some of our routing sure. is very strange because of having to compete with other people, you know, people that are going at the same venues. So, yeah. Uh, It's, I would say it's not quite like some of our other tours, but it's been great, you know, better than expected, I think.
2: How's COVID affecting you? I mean, do you have COVID compliance officers or how do you deal with it?
3: So far, I'm dealing
2: with it right now with Joe Perry.
3: Really? Well, we're going into Canada soon and we definitely had to present some extra stuff for that. I mean, we had to send all of the COVID cards and everything, but for the most part of the venues, it's. There haven't been many mask mandates or requirements for testing or anything, so it's been pretty open for the most part. Um, and luckily, well, no one's gotten sick to yeah. the point of not being able to perform. So uh,
2: we start the Joe Perry rehearsals up in the Boston area soon. And um, I went to Live Nation and I got them to hook me up with a, a like professional COVID testing facility. Mm-hmm. And um, you cannot enter the rehearsal. Unless you have a negative test, and I have a a, um, a team there, and mm-hmm. then everybody that comes in has to be tested daily. Do you have that on on tours? Do, are you, right now, testing? no.
3: It, I would say more in the winter tour that we did that was a lot more Live Nation venues. We dealt with that a lot more. So I remember having to do some of the rapid tests, or you had to present your vaccine card. Yeah. It was it was much more difficult. I think in you know this was six seven months ago. Uh, also might be venue things. If they're Live Nation venues, that probably changes a lot, too. Sure. So. Yeah.
2: Well, we're, we're dealing with it, but it's quite expensive to actually hire a company because they, oh, they do it all professionally. Yeah. Um,
3: I think across but, the board, know. everything is more expensive, it seems. Like, you know, the transportation, the drivers, the oh, COVID protocols, everything. I think touring, yeah, you have to be in a really good position to be able to manage all of the necessary expenses because everything's well, just more.
2: Well, and not only that, be- because of COVID, all the promoters took such a beating by, by not being able to play. They were dropping their guarantees about 20% of what you got mm-hmm. last time around because right. you know, they made no money. And so things cost more and you're getting paid less.
3: Right, right. And that's the other joke. It's inflation affects everything except, oh yeah, let's just, <laughs> Pay musicians yeah. less and lower ticket prices and it's it's the one area where it seems like everything has gone down rather than And, and
1: an, yeah. another trend that I'm seeing a lot which is very upsetting to me is bands just not bringing a bassist on tour I've
3: <laughs> That's seen terrible. I've yeah, seen
1: so many shows where there's just no bass they're just like fuck that guy oh.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. I, I saw you on a video uh, a little while ago where you were playing an outdoor festival you were already getting oh, me? into it. What <laughs> was that?
1: Yeah, do? yeah. I was um, I was opening for Trace Adkins with, uh, with a with with a group that I play with from time oh, to time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a it wasn't a tour or anything. It was just a one off. But uh, yeah, it was fun. I saw it, it, you.
2: Well, you know what? In response to what you were saying about you know people just not having bass players, I have to tell you a story. When I was uh, tour managing Kiss, they used to have an off. Stage keyboard player. His name's Gary Corbett. Uh, unfortunately, Gary was also uh, part of Cinderella, actually, and uh, he unfortunately passed away a few months ago. But um, we were on a tour. I think it was the Hot in the Shade tour, and um, the ticket sales weren't great, so cuts had to be made. And so there was a meeting, and Gene and Paul and then I was there, and they were working. What can we cut? You know, keep the train rolling. But and the idea was, well, we could record the keyboard player's parts. This is before everything was digital. Tape everything that he does and fire him, and then just play his parts <laughs> through the PA. And they said, "That's a great idea." That's exactly what they did. And then exactly. everyone followed
1: suit on everything.
2: Yeah, I mean, I did, yeah. like. They just taped him, and he played his parts. Um, you know, there's lots of stories about kiss and money, and they're probably all true, actually. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it still was, it still was wonderful memories for me. <laughs> oh gosh. <sighs>
3: oh that's yeah no but touring has been interesting I mean another story that's coming back to the driver thing we're touring with a band called Red which you guys might know they, I love their music they're great but uh, one of I think it might be the bass player that's actually driving the bus also so he's playing the yeah. show yeah he has the license and so that's how
1: he's justifying his job he's like no guys I'll drive too it's fine Please.
3: yeah <laughs> I oh, no, so I don't know how he does it yeah I, I, I don't know did. how he does it but it's just funny to see them rolling in and it's one of the guys in the band driving the bus <laughs>
2: Well, you know, uh, these days, I will tell you, if you are a multifaceted crew person these days, your worth is really much higher than if you just do one thing. So if you're a a tour manager that has knowledge of accounting as well, then you can do that. Um, That saves an extra person and you charge a bit more, but you... You know so that or sound engineers that can do production. That's another one that's very popular. I've seen tour managers that are production managers and tour accountants are doing all three. It, it's, yeah. it's out there. The work the yeah, is right. out there. For
3: us it's uh front of house and uh tour management is yeah. combined in one person. So I think that's pretty common as well.
2: Yeah, and i I've, I've seen sound engineers run monitors as well, which I don't know how that works, but They do, you know. So when do you go back out on the road again, Chiron? When when are you playing again?
3: Oh, oh, we're we're playing tomorrow. I mean, we basically, we've been on one sort of long tour, but it was broken up into a support tour and then a headline. So the first month we were supporting Seether and Breaking Benjamin. So those were bigger venues like arenas and amphitheaters. And then now we're doing sort of House of Blues type venues, you know, different levels of capacity as a headline. And we've got three support acts that go before us. So... We're going until uh, middle of July.
2: Middle of July, and, and did Mike Plotnikoff work with you? Have I got that right? Did he engine, do Mike Plotnikoff, the engineer? Did he work with you?
3: Uh, did he, did he I'm not bell? sure, May, with Star Set, maybe, I'm not sure. Who,
2: um, who, who produced your records?
3: Uh, well, th- the, some of them were self-produced. Dustin produced, I think, uh, I would have of to course. ask him to make sure, but um, he worked with Rob Graves, I know, who produced, I believe, the first two but correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I don't want to speak with 100% confidence, but he's worked with a number of different people and some of it has been self-produced.
2: Well, I've got some news for you guys. Okay. Something you, Marty Friedman called me.
3: Oh, Our he did? Friend.
2: Yes, he did. I love Marty. And Marty? Tell oh, us about God, Marty. How could you not? We've been friends for years, Marty and I. And even you know after, Meg- we kept in touch. And every time I go to Japan, we go for dinner. And um, so Marty calls me up and he goes, dude. And I don't know why, but he always does that. When, whenever I, it's dude.
3: He said, listen,
2: <laughs> COVID's coming to an end and um, I, I want to get back out there. I want to make up for lost time. And um, uh, I, I have a manager in Japan. Yeah, I've got, I'm all good there because he he has his own life in Japan. He's on TV. He plays at the Budokan with the Tokyo Philharmonic supporting him. You know, he's got it going on. He's recognized in the streets, and he um, says, "I I want to go back and tour the world." He says, "I don't have a manager," so he says, "What, what are you doing?" You know. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> And uh, so we, we got to talking and no way. I would love nothing more. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to do this with Marty. And I immediately contacted an agent who I need an agent who's in the trenches. Right. And so we immediately came up with this idea like G3. And so the idea, of first of all, was Paul Gilbert, Marty Friedman, and John Five.
0: I then, like that lineup. Wow. So,
2: and that's scarier that than G3 to me. Well, yeah, it's a limited <laughs> appeal, but there is a market for the shredding, you know. Yeah, it's a bunch of dudes um, like me and Corey wearing maiden
0: shirts going, <laughs> Paul is unbelievable, oh, but yeah. Marty does cooler things with the way he plays, but they're both <laughs> great. Well,
2: yeah, the, the shredding, well, Lost Symphony is all about that. I mean, that's what- I know, that's why my mom listens um, to
0: us.
2: (laughs) So, Paul Gilbert, he was the first person, his manager called me up and he's all about it. But then a couple of days later, Paul Gilbert, I don't know, had cold feet. So, Alex Skolnick is now in the frame. Okay? And I know, that's why I'm telling you- Oh, I talked to Alex
0: today. I think I know where this is going, but I'll let you finish because I I did speak to Mr. Skolnick because we're friends.
2: that's where it's going i mean this is now we are holding buildings and we're you know i'm sure boston's going to be on the the list we're putting this together hell yeah and and i told marty i'll get him the publicist and we'll make this happen and for the shredders that like want to see this it's going to be a wonderful night Wait a minute, we should make them play
0: Lost Symphony now because now they have acknowledged each other's existence because they're in the same room. In fact, Alex told me that he's going to play, and tell me if I'm wrong, Rock in Rio with Metal Allegiance, which That's is, I right. believe, what you're speaking about, correct?
2: That's a different thing. That's nothing to what I'm talking about. Is what it going to be with Marty
0: Friedman, too? Because I know Marty played in Metal Allegiance at one point.
2: Yes, but this is a special, a different thing altogether. This is basically me handling Marty, putting together a tour. Wow. Of three guitar players. And then, while all that's going on, David Ellison. Have you heard this? This, Have you heard from David recently? Actually, I just broke a story online.
0: I saw him at NAMM, and he told me that he's now back in the saddle with Mr. Jeff Young from So Far, So Good, So What. And that he's That's even been great. jamming a little bit with Jimmy DeGrasso, who used to play with Alice Cooper, but also played uh, with Al Petrelli in Megadeth back in the day when, when they I released *Tread and the Fugitive. I still sure
2: of- managed that era and many eras for Megadeth. But so yeah, Steve, the only people had. on the
0: internet that know this it went on to Metal Injection and Blabbermouth when they re-shared re- my story because I happened to be, we know this, we're friends with David Ellison. He was in Lost Symphony. I ran into him at Nam and I was like, hey man, you want to talk? And he's like, yeah! And then he just lets loose. So uh, Jeff was playing me, and by Jeff, I mean Jeff Young, some stuff that, uh you know, was on, supposed to be on so uh, the next album, Rust in Peace, but he didn't end up staying in the band. He goes, I remember those songs and now we're doing them years later yeah. uh, so uh well, yeah. yes
2: david's happy david's thinks it's um you know he, it'll probably upset mustaine which i think he gets some joy out of <laughs> but, yeah. um as he
3: he might and should. The ever complicated yeah. story
2: yeah um uh, also dave mustaine's wife uh, got in touch with me the other day because um i haven't spoken to her in years <laughs> and uh she uh, she called me up and she said, um, "Hey, I'm in the Lake District in England. Um, and do you know anybody that could hook me up that knows anything about falconry?"
3: <laughs> what? What a random Falconry's thing like to call. like when you have a big glove and yeah. a friggin'
2: great hawk on there, and i go, "Oh yeah, I got." How many people? Do, no, I I don't <laughs> know anybody. <laughs> No. Uh, was but, Bruce Dickinson funny, but, not available but, uh, that day
0: <laughs> or is he too busy jousting?
2: Yeah, I, I, I just, it's funny, I brought it up because we're talking about these Megadeth things. and um, But the Marty thing is exciting to me. I, so I wait, like is it John, it's exciting, and, it's exciting five, to me as well. <laughs> wait, is it yeah. John Five, Marty and Skolnick? That, that was the discussion we were talking about because Paul Gilbert was the original idea. Because those are three of the scariest guitarists
0: on the planet, like literally, because I've seen John 5, and he's one of those guys, first off, very small, dainty hands for a guy that plays, like when I shook his hand, Ah. I'm like, wow, you have like little girl hands, and meanwhile, he's playing like six octaves on the guitar, but he's the scariest, and not even just because he wears a mask, the scariest player as far as like, can chicken pick, can play Van Halen, like... He is terrifyingly good. He's the guy that when we were doing Lost Symphony, I used to always say, "Well, if there's anybody who's going to come in and be, because like for me, Bumblefoot is the is the savant like Rain Man. Like he sat there, I understand the Phrygian. Like that's Bumblefoot. So anyone, I saw Skolnick play with Bumblefoot on the Les Paul documentary we're doing, and Skolnick has a masters in jazz, and even him, he was like trying to you, it was so great watching him play against the machine it was like the chess master against the artificial intelligence that thinks it's sentient is Bumblefoot because those oh. guys are so tremendous John 5 could do it Marty would just as David Ellison told me would just bend into it so he'd fuck it up <laughs> but then bend it like it was right because that's the thing that makes Marty that's his superpower. is he can bend anything t- until it's
2: right oh I I saw something the other day which blew me away on guitar <laughs> play. I, I listened to um that um uh that guy on YouTube. Um he's got like two million followers that, that talks about music all the time. What's his name? I've gone completely blind. Uh I Oh Bob Hand, Rushback back in Atlanta. Rick oh, oh, Beatle oh, yeah,
0: yeah, Rick Beato. Beato.
2: Yeah. Beato.
0: He's the greatest. He,
2: yeah, I think it was Ron Thal. how do you pronounce it? Thal Ron? Robert yeah, that's Bell. Bumblefoot.
0: Yeah. yeah, Bumblefoot. That's
2: Bumblefoot. Yeah, Bumblefoot, yeah. Playing a fretless guitar? Yeah, for yeah, Back in and Black. Perfectly. Yeah, Yeah, it's oh, incredible. That's, that's
1: well,
0: awesome. So it's, it's possible. possible. So let's set this up. So basically, Rick uh, Beato, it has these incredible things where he reimagined the Stairway to Heaven solo. So he called up Uh, Phil X. He called up Phil X who's playing with Bon Jovi. And then Bumblefoot was the secret guest because we all, Rick Beato is one of the few guys that agrees with me in the sense that he blatantly acknowledges that Bumblefoot is the end all be all craziest guitarist. He says it constantly. What would you do if you reimagined the Back in Black solo, which is, perfectly simple. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it. But but the funny part is that Phil X and Rick both play solos that are very deviant from the original, whereas Bumblefoot goes and plays on the fretless guitar, but it's the closest thing to embodying Angus Young, which is why Bumblefoot reigns supreme for me, because how could you make Angus Young sound like Angus Young on a
2: fretless guitar? That's right, exactly. I I didn't care for the other two versions. Actually, it didn't work for me because the actual ACDC one is so sacred. Yeah, how can it's you be, you can't you
1: can't not hear those notes? Um, so we'll actually we'll yeah, put a it, link. We're gonna put a link to that video uh, in the description, so make sure you check it out below. And actually, we are coming to the end of our first hour, Steve. No. We're, we're,
2: we're
3: flying, yes. No, I have so many questions this. for the second
2: part. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's too good.
2: Actually, <laughs> he called me sometime.
0: Wait, you're friends right. with him?
1: Okay. All right, well, we got. We'll we're, talk about it in part. 2 We're gonna talk two. about that in part two. All right, we're gonna. We're, so, Steve, Save the thank stories. you, thank you for hanging with us. We're gonna we're gonna be back next week, part two. 2020-D.com like and subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned. Thank you as always for checking out this episode of 2020 please visit 2020-D.com like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 111 featuring Miles Kennedy of Alter Bridge Slash and his own solo career. Check it out. I was going to ask have you busted out the trumpet at all on any of these
4: records? <laughs> I tried. Okay, on the first a record, I I had there was a part on a song called um, De- "Devil on the Wall," and I heard like this kind of mariachi band part, and I was like, you know what? I'm let's rent me a trumpet because my my little brother took my trumpet years ago and lost it, so I don't know where my trumpet <laughs> is anymore. Um, but basically, it was kind of like. And there's footage of it online somewhere of me trying to play. Like I'm wearing this, like a pork pie hat. And I'm, it's the first <laughs> time I tried to play in like it's in my embouchure, you know, with trumpet players, you develop your embouchure. And it's like a muscle and right. completely non-existent. And it's pretty funny, actually. me tra- You should hear how bad I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> the pr- I think Elvis, my producer, was like... He heard me in there rehearsing because I was like, hey, Elvis, trust me. I'm going to I'm gonna get it. I'm going to get my embouchure bang. So, like, yeah, yeah, just go for it. <laughs>
1: Meanwhile, he's programming it in MIDI. FT.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. In fact, I think we just cut the part. Yeah, <laughs> that's not going to work. So. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors and beyond from the world that turns us on we're reaching into the improvisational music scene the psychedelic culture the festival world and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes come join us on the long strange trip over at no simple road